Carl Dreifett got me started on a trilogy written by Ian Toll. Uh, he and I both like to read some World War II history. Uh, Ian Toll's history of the war in the Pacific and World War II is massive. The, the trilogy is about 2,200 pages long. And uh, I got through it and lots of fascinating stuff in there. But one of the things that I found interesting was that at the height of the war in the Pacific, which was a just a bloody, vicious fight, uh, you find that they had these R&R places set up on the islands that had everything from volleyball courts to golf courses to theaters and um, uh, they had acting groups where they would send the soldiers in the midst of battle to just relax and play. And they made an interesting observation. As the U.S. troops moved through the battle and, of course, suffered heavy losses and excruciating uh, battles, those R&R times were so important for keeping our troops sharp. And in contrast to that, they pointed out that in the Japanese military, in their Air Force in particular, they didn't believe that they needed to give their servicemen any rest and relaxation time that they were such superior warriors that they could just continue to fight and overcome all odds. And that the end result of that was that many of these pilots began to have uh, emotional breakdowns, there were lots of flying accidents, all kinds of things that severely degraded the Japanese for forces' ability to fight because they didn't believe that their soldiers ever needed to have rest. The lesson was that a warrior without rest loses their edge. Well, this coming Saturday is special for me because if you saw that little video that we sent out this week, you'll know that Burnett and I get to start a sabbatical. And uh, this is something that the DCC leadership put in, year, uh, put in place many years ago, uh, long before I was on staff. And the policy is that after you have served for six years, during your seventh year, you're allowed to take a sabbatical. It works out to about three months. And uh, it's really just time for, for rest, for some study, for recharging the batteries. And uh, I am just very grateful. I'm grateful to all of you that uh, you are part of a church that allows us as leaders to do that. I was thinking back, and the last time I had a break like this was about, I think it was about 26, 27 years ago. And uh, those of you that know my story know that I went through a, a real burnout and a crash in ministry that actually took me out of ministry for many years. And, and that was the last time that I took a sabbatical. I, I, was, I was on my edge and I was not doing well. And, and yet God used that time as really a launching point for some deep healing that needed to happen. Uh, I am really pleased to report that this time around it's a completely different experience. Uh, I'm, I'm not coming to this because I'm hanging by a thread or I'm living on the edge. In fact, uh, we, we are both uh, excited and looking forward and we've got plans about how to use that time and try to make the most of it. Uh, I had thought about putting this off another year because as you know, we just brought uh, Pastor Lance on board. And at the time, as we were going through the hiring process, we weren't quite sure how soon we'd have that position filled. And I thought, well, we can't really hire the guy one week and then me leave the following week. That wouldn't be fair. But as it is, uh, Lance and I have had about five weeks of overlap between us. Uh, the beautiful thing is God brought us someone who has a lot of experience himself as a lead pastor. And when Lance and I started talking about this and I said, I'm going to wait till next year, he said, why? We'll be fine. And he's convinced me that you're going to be fine. 
so be fine, okay? Um, now, we've got great leadership here. And, and between our pastoral staff and our elders, uh, the office staff, I have no worries about what you're in good hands. Uh, since I am about to launch into a little longer than normal time of rest, I thought that it might actually be a good topic for us to talk about, to talk about rest, because a lot of us aren't very good at it. Now, I know that many of you moved to SQUIM because you moved here to retire, and retirement supposedly is about rest. But from what I hear from a lot of retired folks, they tell me that they're busier now than they were when they were working a nine-to-five job. So you may have switched activities from paid work to volunteer work, uh, but, or maybe just you've switched over to some kind of recreation, but, but many of us, I think, still don't really know how to rest. We have shifted into a different gear, but we never shift into park unless and until we run out of gas. So let me toss out a bold statement that you may have to chew on a bit. And I will admit that I could be wrong about this, but I don't think I am. Here it goes. The failure to make regular time for rest may not be just poor planning. It may be sin. You can think about that. Maybe that sounds a little strong, but, but let me give you my thinking on this. And I, I'd go all the way back to the very beginning, to Genesis and the story of creation. And as you know, the whole creative process is described in terms of a week of relentless, divine, creative activity. And, and here's what that whirlwind of creative energy ended up at. This is Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, when I was younger and I would read this passage, the, the question that went around my head was, well, did God really get tired? I mean, it says that he rested from all of his work. And, and I mean, I understand that creating a universe from scratch is a, a pretty big task. I mean, you know, you talk about your to-do list, but this is God we're talking about. And I didn't think that God got tired. So if that's true, then resting in God's eyes apparently is not just an activity for the exhausted. In fact, when God gave his laws to Moses without any reference to how many hours per week they might work or how much travel they might have to do, he started off by prescribing in the strongest terms a day of rest for his people every week. Here's Exodus 20, where we find the Ten Commandments, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
You know, if you go back to the story of creation there in Genesis 1, the English Standard Version only records God speaking 338 words to get the job done. If you read it in Hebrew, it's only 170 words. My Hebrew professor in seminary swore that Hebrew was God's language. So if we go with that, 170 words to create the universe. Spread that out over six days, that's only 28 words per day. If God put in an eight-hour workday, that is less than four words per hour. <laughs> However you slice it, I'm pretty sure that God didn't rest on the seventh day because he was tired. I'm going to come back to this whole idea of God resting in a bit, but what I want us to see right up front is that God values rest, and that rest is not a sign of weakness, the way those old Japanese warriors thought it was. It's not a sign of weakness. It is a purposeful choice by the most energetic being in existence to stop doing things. And it's a choice that God, right from the outset, communicated as a clear expectation for people who were created in his image. In fact, not just an expectation. He put it in the form of a command which seems a little strange, doesn't it? I mean, why would you have to command someone to rest? Now, I've, I've owned my own business for a number of years, and I've had employees that I had to give a command to work. <laughs> That's a different issue. But, but God gives a command to rest. Let me ask you this. Why do we have seatbelt laws? I mean, we all know that seat belts save lives. Uh, they are very convenient to get your hands on. They've been well positioned in the vehicle. Uh, your car will make beeping noises if you don't put it on. Uh, so why do we need a seat belt law? Well, because until the habit gets ingrained, we are so good at finding excuses not to bother, right? It's uncomfortable on my neck. I need to move around more. It, it's a hassle to put on. It's a hassle to take off. Um, we can find lots of legitimate reasons why it's more comfortable to go without. But, but then again, when you need it, you need it. And you better have it in place before the crisis happens, right? Now, some of you may be feeling worried that I'm trying to argue for some kind of a legalistic Sabbath observance. Some of you, perhaps, are hoping I will. Uh, I'm not, and I won't, and I'll explain why in just a bit. I just want to get in our minds firmly this idea, though, that regular, intentional, significant times of rest are part of God's plan and His will for us. And God's commitment to rest for his chosen people, Israel, went farther than just one day a week. Check out this from Leviticus 25. For six years you shall sow your field. For six years you shall prune your vineyard, gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. Wow! A whole year of rest for the land. That Sabbath year is a fascinating study in itself. It's kind of where I think the church, when they made up this policy about pastors getting a break in the seventh year, that's where they kind of pulled the idea from. Uh, on top of that, there was even something called the year of Jubilee, 
Some of you are familiar with this. The year of Jubilee came around once every 50 years. And one of the things that happened in the year of Jubilee was that any debts were to be forgiven. That's pretty cool. I mean, could you imagine having MasterCard call you up and say, hey, just notice this is the year of Jubilee and want you to know we're gonna go ahead and zero out your balance on your card. How cool would that be? <coughs> Which is to say nothing of the various feasts of Israel that they were commanded to observe. Many of them were elaborate multi-day festivals. And when you put it all together, you'll find that in Israel, you had an entire culture that was built around regular times of rest. In fact, that regular rhythm of resting among the Jews actually caused the workaholic Romans to consider them a lazy people. They weren't lazy. They were just living life the way God intended. What's the most famous psalm in the Bible? Psalm 23, right? And, and you know how it begins. The Lord is my shepherd. He dictates my every waking hour for maximum output and production. Oh, no, wait, that's the wrong, wrong version. It actually says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. David's whole description of God as a good shepherd begins with a shepherd who makes his sheep rest and one who in that rest restores their souls before they launch into the challenges of the trail ahead. When you read the rest of the psalm, you'll find the trail is not easy. There's the valley, the shadow of death. There are enemies that gather around, and yet in the midst of that, David says a good shepherd makes sure that his flock finds rest. And Jesus didn't just talk about rest. He practiced it. In Mark 6, we're told about Jesus sending his disciples out for ministry, and he gave them authority, it says, to cast out demons and to heal the sick, and they did. And when they came back, we're told, they were excited. God was using them to do some amazing things. And, and I would guess that they were becoming a little bit famous in their own right. I mean, these two guys show up in your town and people are getting healed and delivered and, and, and teaching, wonderful teaching, and, and people were flocking to them. People wanted more. There were needs. There were opportunities. And, and I'm guessing they were raring to go again because there was so much to be done. Mark 6.30. Well, Mark 6.30 isn't up there. Imagine that. Hmm. Well, here's what Mark 6.30 says. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves. Right? Lord, we've done all this great stuff. Let's go. First, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Jesus' immediate response to tremendous success in ministry is to say, you guys don't even have time to eat a meal. Let's go someplace and rest. Hebrews 10, 12 says that when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. 
So Christ himself is depicted as having completed his work and being in a place of rest, seated at the Father's right hand. Oh, we got to catch up. That's what it is. I start off with this bold statement that the failure to make regular time for rest may not just be poor planning, it may be sin. And, and sin, I would define as simply the choice to live by my plans rather than by God's. So if rest is part of God's plan for his people, and if I choose to live a life without rest, then I conclude that I'm choosing to live in sin. Follow my logic? And all of God's people said, yeah, but. <laughs> Whenever I talk to harried, busy, stressed out people, and I suggest that one of the things they need to do is rest, I'm usually met with this torrent of yeah, buts. There, there's so many reasons why we can't do it. Uh, the reasons not to rest are myriad, and, and I get it. I, I get busy. I've been self-employed. I've built a business from the ground up while we were raising four kids. Um, I know what stress feels like. I, I understand what insomnia means. But I've also learned that rest is not an option. It is essential. And like that annoying little ritual of clipping my seatbelt, if I don't develop and maintain the habit, the day of the crash will come and I will pay the price. Let me give you seven truths about time. The first is, God created time, right? That, that's, that's his invention. God lives outside of time. God created time. Second thing is, God created it. God has a plan for time, right? He has a purpose. Third, we are part of his plan, right? Okay, fourth. God knows our limits. In fact, a verse that I love along this line comes from Psalm 103. It says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God knows you. He knows your limits. And his plans will fit our time right? God's plan for you, the God who knows you and knows your limits, the God who created time, God's plan for you will fit within the time that God knows you have and the energy he knows that you possess. If our plans don't fit our time, maybe they're not his plan. And seventh, there's nothing that you have to do. Someone shared that principle with me years ago, and it was a game changer. So often when I get myself trapped into things, because it's because I, I have to do this. How many of you have got stuck in that place? I have to, I have to, I have to. And the truth is, there actually isn't anything that I have to do. There's nothing that you have to do. He'll go, well, hang on a minute, Tim. I mean, I, I have to, the very minimum, I have to eat and drink. No, you don't. You don't have to eat or drink. Well, I have to pay taxes, right? I mean, death and taxes. No, you don't have to pay taxes. 
You don't have to show up for work. You don't even have to obey God. You don't have to do anything. The only thing that you have to do is accept the consequences. Everything has consequences. I've talked to guys who are overwhelmed in their job, and when I've suggested they take a day to rest and recharge, I invariably hear about all the things that they have to do that keep them from resting. And sometimes I ask those stressed out, hairy people, so what's going to happen if you have a heart attack and drop dead? Is the world going to stop turning on that day? Will your job cease to exist? The business will dissolve? You know, maybe for a self-employed guy, maybe you say, well, yeah, it will. But, but you know what? The world will continue on. It'll keep going. And so we get to make a choice. D does the world keep going because we just collapsed and it found another way? Or do we make the choice to find time to rest so that we can keep going and we can continue to be part of what God has called us to do. We can make those choices and we'll probably live longer, we'll perform better, and the things that have to get done will still get done. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Martha and Mary and the big lunch party they had for Jesus. The story is found in Luke chapter 10. And uh, Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem and on the way he stopped at the home of these dear friends, Martha, her sister Mary, and, uh, and in the tradition of Mideastern hospitality, Martha immediately set to work to prepare a beautiful lunch to honor her guests. Nothing wrong with that. It's what was expected. There are hungry people in her house. But Mary, we're told, sat down and started listening to Jesus, not helping get lunch ready, which gets Martha really frustrated. There's a lot to be done in the kitchen. And finally, she's, she's so frustrated that she actually goes to Jesus, the esteemed rabbi, the highest ranking man in the house, and says, would you please tell my sister, who is blissfully sitting here not doing a thing, to come and help me in the kitchen, because there's a lot of people to be fed. And here's Jesus' reply. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha was busy, worried, anxious, so many details, so much responsibility, and every single thing that she was paying attention to was important. Her home was full of hungry people. It was her duty as the hostess to feed them. Everyone expected it. And yet Jesus cuts through the fog of all of these have-tos and need-tos and expectations. And he suggests that really there's only one thing that is a must-do. And that is time with him. And I love the phrase he uses in reference to Mary. Mary has chosen. She made a choice. Of all the things going on, Mary made a choice that altered her behavior. Martha was being driven by circumstances, by all the things that seemed like have-tos, but Mary made a choice to step away from the have-tos to pursue something that she knew had greater value. So here's some good questions to ask ourselves. 
What are the have-tos that are driving you to exhaustion? And what would it look like to choose to make time for spiritual nurture, for rest? Burnett and I first made a conscious choice to honor a day of rest while I was in grad school. And uh, we both grew up in homes where Sunday had been a day set aside. I think her home modeled it in healthier ways than mine did. Uh, my dad came from a, a fairly legalistic background and he didn't like us doing anything on Sunday except going to church. Uh, we went to Sunday school, morning service, night service. If they'd had an afternoon service, we would have gone to it. Um, and, and so outside of reading or taking a nap, there wasn't anything else dad wanted us doing on a Sunday. And not surprisingly, when I got away from home, I also got away from that kind of rigidity. But as we grew up, we also began to figure out that just because something may have been excessive doesn't necessarily mean it was wrong. I began rethinking this whole thing of rest. And with Burnett, we decided we were going to make it a weekly habit. We kept Sunday special. We went to church, we participated there. I was a youth pastor at the time while I was in grad school. But we stopped work, including schoolwork. And I remember one semester in particular, I had 18 credits of graduate work that semester. It was intense. I was also on the student body council. I was working part-time for the sheriff's department. I was working part-time as a youth pastor. Burnett was working full-time as a executive secretary, uh, putting hubby through. And Sundays became our oasis. I had seminary friends who would ask me how we could do that with all of the class demands. Many of them would get home from church and spend the afternoon writing papers because there was so much work coming at us. And, and I told them that it was really a step of faith. And I had decided that if it meant I got a B on a paper instead of an A, so be it. How many of you know how many B's I got on papers in seminary? Raise your hands. That's what I thought. Nobody knows, nobody cares. <laughs> I didn't get many, by the way. But you know what? Here's the, be here's the better news. Everything got done that really needed to be done. I, I think if we honor God's plan for us, we will find that he honors us. Remember the story about the children of Israel in the wilderness and the manna that came each day and they weren't supposed to collect extra. You just, each day you received what you needed for that day, except on the sixth day of the week. On the sixth day, you could collect enough for the next day because you weren't supposed to collect any on the day of rest. God provided for his people so that they could rest. That super crazy semester I told you about that everything was coming at us, um, I had actually taken a civil service exam related to the job I had at the sheriff's department. I walked into my lieutenant's office and he said, you know, it's going to take about three months to process that thing. He says, do you want to just take the next three months off and then come back when it's done? He gave me the semester off. I didn't ask for that. If we honor God, I think we'll find that he honors us. And don't get me wrong, I know that there are exceptional times that demand exceptional effort. Even in the Old Testament that had these very strict laws about keeping the Sabbath, there were real world allowances. There were rules about if a cow fell in a ditch and you couldn't leave it there overnight, it was gonna die. You could pull the cow out of the ditch, that was okay. 
because cows don't give much thought as to what days they fall in ditches. The problem is that many of us have made the exceptions to rest the norm. It's not just that a dumb cow falls in a random ditch. The problem is that some of us have developed a life pattern that digs ditches all the time that us and the cows get stuck in. And we don't know how to get out. My truck has a tachometer in it. It, it shows me how many RPMs the engine is turning. And there's a red zone on it. it. It lets me know when I'm pushing the engine too hard. And there are times when it makes sense to push the engine into that red zone. There are emergencies. The problem is that a lot of us, I think especially as North Americans, we push it into the red zone and then we set the cruise control. We just live there. And someday, the old engine just freezes up on us and we go, wow, I wonder what went wrong. What kind of rest am I talking about? Is it just taking a nap? Well, that's not a bad part, but the, the kind of rest God wants for his people is more than a nap. The first thing I think God desires when we talk about rest is a spiritual kind of rest. That's where Jesus started. He invited people to come to him, he said, so that you can find rest for your souls. Some of us may be working so hard because we're still somehow trying to earn our way to heaven. I've got to do enough for God to be pleased with me. I've got to make stuff up to him. And Jesus said that his yoke was easy. He invited us to rest. He paid the price for us. The gospel tells us that God sent his son to us, and we are acceptable to him, not because of our nonstop good works, but because of his never-ending grace. And so the first rest we should pursue is the rest of accepting his grace. That's why I think that quality, regular times of rest need to include things that will refresh our souls. Corporate worship. If Sunday is your day of rest, I think being in church on a regular basis is an important part of that. It's where I come with my soul to find rest and nourishment and encouragement for my soul. It means spending time reading God's word. One of the things I'm going to be doing on my sabbatical is spending some significant time in the book of 1 John. It means time spent reading, spiritually nurturing books. Uh, I'm taking along a pretty healthy reading class myself on this sabbatical. I'm going to audit a class uh, on 1 John toward the end of the sabbatical. Listen to good music. Make time for prayer. Spiritual rest. The second rest I think we have to pursue is a physical rest, and yes, naps are a good part of that. Uh, the principle we find throughout Scripture is a day of rest every week. Can you all recall a time when most businesses closed on Sundays? It was great. Everybody kind of stopped at the same time in the community. So how can harried people, like some of us, step off of the crazy train and climb out of the ditch and wind down the RPMs and find rest. I'll tell you this, if rest is going to become a regular part of your schedule, you're going to have to schedule it regularly. Can I repeat that for you, in case you missed it? If rest is gonna become a regular part of your schedule, you're going to have to schedule it regularly. It won't just happen. 
If you think the to-do list is going to magically just disappear one day and say, hey, this would be a good day to rest, that is never going to happen. In the Old Testament, the day of rest was the seventh day. It was this symbolic remembrance of God's satisfaction in his creation. When God rested on the seventh day and declared his creation was good. And I think that there is a valuable part of a, a weekly discipline of rest, that idea of contentment. We live in this consumer society that's always trying to get more. And setting aside a day every week to simply say thank you to God for what he has provided and seek to add nothing more is a valuable discipline for our souls to practice contentment. In the New Testament, the early Christians still honored a day every week, but we find that it quickly shifted to the first day of the week, to Sunday. The Gentile believers valued worship, but they didn't have that Sabbath rhythm built into their lives. And what took center place in their thinking wasn't God's completion of the first creation, but it was his beginning of the new creation in resurrecting Jesus. Jesus was resurrected, the firstborn of God's new creation, on the first day of the week. And so that became a day that they began to set aside. The Apostle Paul himself, raised a strictly Orthodox Jew, recognized and affirmed this change. I told you I wasn't going to be talking about going back to a legalistic keeping of the Sabbath. Listen to what Paul had to say in Colossians chapter 2. Don't forget, this is a, a Jew writing this who had grown up with that strict Sabbath system, the seventh day. Here's what he says in Colossians 2. He says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. If you run into someone that gets hung up on this thing of, well, you know, you're, you're resting, you're worshiping on the wrong day, and there are people that get very caught up in that idea that it should only be on Saturday, not on Sunday. Understand the reason that early Christians began to gravitate towards Sunday. It was an honor and recognition of Christ, the first Adam, the new creation, what God had begun. And Paul is very explicit to say, don't, don't get caught up in, in fighting about issues like which day is the Sabbath. He says, these things are a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. So I'm not challenging you to think about some kind of religious legalism. What I want you to consider is grabbing hold of a valuable spiritual discipline in creating a day of rest. And that doesn't mean a day of doing chores at home rather than going to work. That's what some of us do. Well, it's my day of rest. I'm out, I'm mowing the lawn, I'm cleaning the kitchen, I'm, you know, okay, that's not rest. It means we mark out a day specifically for rest and worship to be with others, to be with God. And it is a discipline. If you just wait for it to happen, I guarantee it never will. Exhaustion will just happen. Stress will happen, distraction, restlessness, anxiety, those will all just happen. You don't have to work at that. But rest, for most of us, requires this conscious decision to stop. I found this quote from C.S. Lewis, I love it. He said, the real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. I love that image. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, 
taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, and so on, all day, standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings, coming in out of the wind. But we all know it's not always easy. I know some of you carry some pretty heavy burdens. You have young kids, and the demands, it seems, never stop. Others of us have aging parents, or we have loved ones with significant health concerns that are very demanding. And if you're in one of those seasons of life, it may be hard to imagine what it would be like to get a day every week or even an hour once a day to yourself to rest. I know some of your stories. And the demands that you're facing are not because you have planned wrong or been careless with your time. In fact, my provocative statement that failure to make time for rest may be sin is way too strong for the situation that you're facing. You are exhausted for the highest and the holiest of reasons. You are caring for someone in need. And God knows your heart, and he is pleased to see such love. But sometimes, not always, but sometimes, our sense of commitment causes us to rule out options that would give us some needed rest. For my own life, my grandmother lived with us the last eight years of her life, and especially in the latter years of that time, she needed a lot of care. And the person that she felt most comfortable having care for her was my mom. Now, my mom came from a family of nine. There were a lot of other siblings around. But my mom, because it's what grandma's most comfortable with, did almost all the care for her. And as a result, our family as a family uh, never had a vacation longer than one, maybe two days, once or twice, from the time I was in sixth grade until I went to college. There were others who could have helped care for grandma. And in retrospect, my mom told me once that one of her regrets was that she didn't insist on some time away from that constant care. She needed it, we needed it. Grandma didn't like other people caring for her, but it could have been done. My mom's motives were the very best, but there was a price to be paid for not taking hold of the options that were available. Some of us just need someone else to come alongside and offer to give us a break. When our kids were small, Burnett went through a period, and she's talked about this often, where she just became overwhelmed with the needs of caring for little kids. Little kids know nothing about rest until they're unconscious, right? And then one mother said that she couldn't enjoy watching them sleep because she knew they were just recharging. <laughs> but it was in the middle of that that we had a friend, a sweet friend, her name was Katie, and she spotted the need. She realized how badly Burnett needed a break, and Katie took it on herself to let Burnett know that she wanted to come over for one day every week for a few hours just so Burnett could get a break so she could get some rest. And Burnett will tell you that Katie was a lifesaver. And maybe God's gonna lay that on your heart to be that person who gives a gift to someone else 
to say, I know that you need some rest and you don't know who to ask or you're embarrassed to ask or you feel like you're imposing, but I want to come as my gift to you and offer to give you the gift of rest. Well, I have just scratched the surface of this topic of rest. I think it's really important. I think it's one we all need to think through more carefully and not just think about it, we need to act on it. If you're interested, I found a five-week study offered on Right Now Media. Here's a little preview of it. Dallas Willard once called hurry the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Five years ago, I was leading a megachurch and living in a city and working insane hours, in a hurry all of the time, addicted to my phone. And I knew something was off in my soul. I just could not put my finger on what. And when I first heard that line, it hit me, that's it. Hurry is the issue underneath so many of the other issues in my life. I mean, if you think about it, hurry is incompatible with the love, joy, and peace that are right at the center of Jesus' vision of life in the kingdom of God. But the aha moment for me was when I realized the solution to this problem is not more time. Willard said that iconic line to a mentee of his, John Ortberg. And in response, John said, what else do I need to know? Willard thought about it for a moment and then he said, there is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthless elimination of hurry. Pastor Lance, why don't you come here for a minute because uh, we're going to try to make some groups available this summer on this very topic. Why don't you tell them what is going to happen? That was awesome. That was a great sermon on rest. And, you know, as a pastor, I mean, uh, one, of the, one of the privileges is, is you get to spend a lot of time with people who are wrapping up their lives. And, um, you know, I know that Pastor Tim and I have spent countless uh, hours with people who are coming towards the end of their time on this earth, whether they're young, whether they're older people, or whether they're Christians or whether they're not Christians. But what I've found is that invariably they will make a statement about time, how they spent their time. Either they're happy with the ways that they spent their time or they regret the ways that they spent their time or they think about the ways that they spent their time, but they make a statement about time. And, you know, I, I think that it's so important that we learn to eliminate or try to eliminate hurry from our lives. And so it's going to be beginning June the 6th in the chapel at 6 o'clock. It's open to everybody, um, and we'll be discussing this, you know, issue about time and about hurry in our own lives. And so I hope that you'll make a plan, as Pastor Tim talked about today, to be there in the chapel at 6 o'clock beginning in June, and uh, we'll discuss uh, the elimination of hurry in our lives. What days? That's every Monday for five weeks. Okay, so Monday's starting up. Thanks, Lance. Um, I, I'm going to miss you guys. I really will. Eventually. No. Um, <laughs> now, we are looking forward to this time. Again, thank you for that. There are some great speakers we've got lined up for Sundays while we're away. Uh, Pastor Lance has got plans in motion for some of these groups. Pastor Britt and Kayla, the Sweeney's, Ryan Van Gordon, others have got things on tap for our children, for our youth. Um, 
There's going to be lots of opportunities for you to plug in. But I hope that besides being plugged in with each other, that you also make time for rest. And part of finding time for rest is finding time for each other. It, it's having time to just enjoy a meal together, to visit, to care for someone. Uh, that's my prayer for all of us, that as we move through this spring into this summer, that God teaches us more about how to become people who live lives that are not in the red zone constantly, but that we have learned how to rest. Because I really believe it is part of his plan for us. Amen?